0: Well Good morning and welcome everyone. as Pastor Joel mentioned, my name is Zach and a, a greeting and a welcome to everyone here and those joining us online over at bush lake and in woodside it 's so good to be together to to worship and to lift high the name of jesus and uh, as we think about this sermon series, help. Uh, I'm going to need some help in this this topic today because it is a weighty and important and timely series. Uh, we encourage you. Let's lean in over these next several weeks. Uh, let's lean into this Bible reading plan, into this sermon series, because what we'll see ultimately in the story of Job is a story of wisdom, hardship, but yet also God's presence and God's provision. And I'm sure that as we navigate some of the conversations today and in the coming weeks, uh, there will be questions, maybe deep seated questions and maybe even for some deep wounds that will begin to rise to the surface. And so don't lean out, but rather lean into them and let's be in this together, let's learn with one another. It's a timely talk because as we think about our situation, when we look over the last year and some change or maybe even for some over the last week, maybe even for some the last 24 hours, We've all experienced pain, hardships, or struggles in one shape or form or another. But here's the thing. Even if we haven't faced some hardships, we probably know someone who has. I mean, let's just think about it. Uh, Maybe you yourself haven't come down with COVID, but you probably know someone who has. Maybe you haven't had the moment whenever you've experienced or faced down family relationships that are strained, but maybe you know someone who has. Maybe you haven't lost a job or some other uh, financial means hasn't been brought into question, but probably you know someone who has. And we all find ourselves in these moments of hardships and difficulty in pain and in strife, just crying out for help, crying out to God, what are you doing in this time? And so that's what I want us to look at today. One simple question, which is this, how can we navigate our pain? How can we navigate seasons and pockets of pain with wisdom and with God throughout all of it? Today we're gonna be setting the stage for uh, this sermon series as we look at Job chapter one and two. And as we look at Job one and two, uh, we'll really see three points. We'll see first two promises and a prayer. Two promises that deal with our pain and then a prayer that we can pray as we navigate through our pain. But before we dive in, I want us to first look at the context that really helps to set up the rest of the book. It really lays the groundwork for us. Let's look at Job chapter one, verse one. It says this, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of fasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned, and curse God and their heart. This was Job's regular custom. Okay, we can see a couple things about Job. First of all, uh, Job had this amazing family. Okay, it says that he had seven sons and three daughters. Now, the numbers here are quite important. They're significant because they're repeated throughout the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, Seven and three typically symbolize the number of completion or the number of perfection. And so it's as if the, the author is saying Job had 10 kids. He had the perfect number of kids. I'm not saying that's for us. I got two and one on the way. I'm like tapping out right now. (laughs) But you can see, yeah, I got an amen off that. You can see symbolically uh, Job had the perfect number of kids. But not only that, what else does it say? It says that their kids gathered together on birthdays and they shared feasts with one another. So not only did he have the perfect number, but he had the perfect behaving kids. Okay, we all pray for this. Uh, Hopefully God can still work miracles, right? I mean, this is my prayer. I I pray that my kids, my son and daughter and soon to be son coming up this fall will just be great friends, that there won't be any civil war happening within the Bush household, but they will love and have one another's back. He has great family. But not only that, it says that Job had great fortune. I mean, he had thousands of sheep and donkey and oxen. He had cattle galore. And then he also had servants, a, a plethora of servants. He was the greatest man in all of the East. Family, fortune, but then he also had faith. It's said throughout this uh, passage here and in the coming chapters, it'll say that he was a blameless and upright man, fearing God and shunning evil. He was blameless, not that he was morally perfect, but he did have a, a moral foundation that he leaned on. He was upright. He was fearful and revering of God and he shunned or turned away from evil. He had it all going on, family, fortune, and faith. And that really sets the stage for us because in the very next verse in chapter in in verse six we actually see this unique interaction happening this conversation between God and Satan which we'll talk about here in the second point a little bit but what we begin to see is that everything comes to a climax and, and begins to unravel and unfold as tragedy and pain hits in Job's life in verse 13 it says these words let's look to see the conflict that he experiences. One day When Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians came and attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and I, I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still yet speaking, another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Talk about an awful day. I mean, just imagine if we were to put ourselves in Job's shoes today, it's like you're leaving work and you get a call from your boss and he's saying, sorry, we no longer have a place for you. And as you're driving home, you're met out in the road by your neighbor who's saying, I'm so sorry. And you look out in the horizon to see the the smoke going up. Your, Your house is burning down. And then as you're sitting there, all of a sudden a a cop comes up and gets out of the car and says, I'm so sorry, but your family is lost all within the same day. That's what we see with Job. He lost his fortune, his donkey, his sheep, all of his servants were, were gone. They were put to death by these foreign raiders. But then it says that his family was lost too. And as we think about this, this leads us and to our first point, which is our first promise. If we were to put words to it, we would say this, bad things sometimes happen to good people. Bad things sometimes happen to good people. Now I know what you're thinking, you're sitting there, you're like, wait, are you kidding me? That's a promise, what? You see, I thought a promise was like, you know, I'm gonna leave work early to be home with my family, or I promise I'm gonna go to my kid's basketball game. This is a promise? We ultimately go in and we look at Job's story. He was a good person. It says that he was blameless and upright, fearing God and shunning, turning away from evil. In fact, it said that whenever his kids would gather together and they would have feast, he would get up early in the morning and he would make sacrifices on their behalf just in case potentially accidentally one of them cursed God. And now all of a sudden we see this happening. Bad things sometimes happen. Happen to good people. That's a promise that we can see here in the story of Job. But then that leads us to this next question, which is like, okay, why? Why is this happening? And a lot of times we can dig it a little bit deeper and this is what we'll see unfolding in the book of Job but we might ask the question, is my struggle tied to my sin? Okay, is my sin and my actions and my behavior the reason for my pain and struggle and hardship in life? That's what we'll see with Job where they're beginning to say, Job, maybe you're not so perfect after all. Maybe you're not so upright and that's the reason for your sin and your hardships. And so we ask that question, is your sin the reason for your struggle? You ready for it? I don't know. Yes, it is, but maybe no, it's not. Let's dig into it. I don't wanna dodge the question, but let's think about, it. is your sin the, the source of your struggle? When I was in seminary, I, I took a pastoral counseling course and we were dealing with this question of why do bad things happen? Why, why is there pain in our life? And, and the professor gave us this adage that was really helpful for me then, it's helpful for me now. It says this, we are fallen beings living in a fallen world, under attack by fallen angels. Okay, we were fallen beings living in a fallen world under attack by fallen angels. What's the word that's repeated there time and time again? Fallen. Let's think about this. We go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. We see in Genesis, the very first book that God created. He created the heavens and the earth and, and he created us and he said, it was good. Everything was functioning in perfect peace and shalom and harmony together the way that God had intended it to be. But then we see in Genesis chapter three, all of a sudden, Adam and Eve sin and they disobey and we see the fall ushered in. And now all of a sudden, the fall fractures and it fragments and it shatters the way that God had intended the world to function. And so we are fallen beings living in a fallen world under attack by fallen angels. And so let's answer the question, is your sin the source of your struggle? In some respects, yes, it is. Let's look at these unpacking. We are fallen beings. Uh, You realize this, that we sometimes have longings and desires that are a result of the fall that aren't in alignment with what God has for us and that forces us to do things outside of God's plan. We lie, we cheat, and we steal and then we face the consequences of it. Sometimes our struggle and pain is the fact that we have been caught and we've been found out and we have to face that, we have to own it, we have to take on responsibility for that, that we are fallen beings. But sometimes... Our struggle and our pain is not rooted in our sin and our own struggle. But the second point is that we are fallen beings living in a fallen world. Okay, the world that we live in is not functioning how God had intended it to be. I mean, we see the rise of natural disasters, hurricanes and tornadoes. In fact, we see that in Job's story as well. As his kids are feasting together, it says a wind from the desert swept through. It was like a tornado and his children were killed. In a tragic and a horrific accident. Uh, we see the fact that we are living in a fallen world, the, the rise of things uh, such as ailments like, like cancer. This was not a part of God's original plan or intention, but it's here because of the fall. Or some of us in our own lives, we butt up against the sinful actions of other people as well. And we experience the ripple effects of their choices. And that is a reason for our own struggle. We we're fallen beings living in a fallen world. And now the third part is under attack by fallen angels. Now, I know this might be new for some of you. You might be thinking, like, Whoa, what, is, what does this mean? Uh, I want to invite you to, to just be aware uh, there are angelic cosmic battles going on all around us that we aren't even privy to and aware of. Uh, and we see that in Job. We'll see that in the second point. We see this interaction between God and Satan. That's really wild. But I think for us, a lot of times we have to remember that sometimes we felt uh, places in, of oppression from, from fallen angels. But, just a, just a disclaimer, this doesn't mean we should go around looking behind every bush saying, oh, there's a demon or there's a fallen angel or if we're driving down and we get a flat tire, ah, spiritual warfare. <laughs> that's, that's not always what it means. But I think a lot of times we can feel that pressure either because we're fallen or because we're experiencing hardships from fallen angels and it should force us now to to fix our eyes upon Jesus I mean we, we sang that just a little bit ago Jesus Jesus you make the darkness tremble we know where our victory is we can fix our eyes upon our mighty king Jesus in this time and in this season and we can have hope in that but ultimately we see that Job he was a man greatest in the east he had family and he had fortune But then we see all of that is stripped away. And we'll see in just a moment, his physical health fails him as well. And so the question that's gonna emerge and bubble up revolves around his faith. And the question is, will Job renounce his faith too? Or is Job gonna say, despite all of this, God is enough? And I think for some of us here, we find ourselves in Job's shoes. We've got the family hardships, We've got the fortune that's dwindling. Maybe even our physical health is, is really just decimated. And we're still just clinging on to our faith because that's all that we have left. And we ask the question, God, why is this happening? Or maybe, God, where are you in this? And that's what leads us now into the second point, the second promise. We can begin to see God's presence and his power in all things. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take a step back into the narrative, back into verse six, after Job's introduction and before the tragedy that strikes, because we get to see this uh, wild conversation between God and Satan. Look at verse six with me, it says this. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. You can hear that repeated again. But then here comes Satan's remarks. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. And he will surely curse you to Your face. He'll lose his faith, is what he's saying. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Okay, we see, first of all, that the word Satan in the Hebrew scriptures and in the Hebrew culture is also synonymous with the word the adversary. Okay, it has this idea that Satan is gonna heap up uh, adversity into our lives and, and Satan is gonna uh, try to provide adverse effects. He's gonna come after God's throne and God's power and God's uh, holiness and all things. But, uh, but God comes on the scene and he's like, hey, have you checked out my servant Job? And when I saw that, when I read that, I was like, okay, time out. Uh, God, here's the thing. You don't need to put my name out there. You don't need to put me on full blitz when it comes to saying My life's already hard enough. Amen, anyone else? Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> but God's like, have you checked out my servant Job? He's blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. And then did you catch what Satan did? He said, does Job really fear you for nothing? What is he doing there? He's doing the same thing that he does And other places of scripture. This is his number one tactic and his number one strategy. He begins to ask poking and prodding questions. And here's the thing, it's it's okay to ask God questions, but the questions that he's asking is gonna force us to question the character of God. He does this also in another place in the Bible, Genesis chapter three. He comes to Adam and Eve. Did God really say not to do this? Did God really say not to do that? And so we can see it here as well in the story of Job. He's gonna uh, put us all on blitz and he's gonna force us to ask those questions. Is God really good? Is God really faithful? Is God really present in all things? And I think that we need to be aware of that. Beware of those questions that are rising up within you. That is Satan's number one tactic and strategy. But let's pause just for a second. I don't wanna blow past it because I wanna address a little bit of the elephant in the room. Okay, Satan and God are having a conversation face-to-face. Okay, that's kind of like, wait, what's going on here? And a lot of times that can cause us to ask that question, why? God, why are you even conversing with Satan? And, And then God, why would you allow this to happen? Why would you allow Satan to strike Job and his family and his fortunes? Why is that going on? And then similarly, we begin to apply that to our lives. God, why am I going through this? God, why is this happening in my life? Do you want the answer for that question, for that why question? I have no idea. (laughs) I have no clue. I can't answer that question. Because if you're asking that, I I invite you, bring it to God. Bring that question to God. We'll show you how to do that here in just a little bit. But ultimately what we see, what I want you to cling to in this passage is to ultimately see that God is still in control, that God is still powerful, God is still all-knowing, and God is still all-present. And because we see the character of God, that can give us the second promise, which it's a lot more encouraging of a promise than the first one. The promise is this. The promise of Christianity is not the absence of pain, but the promise of God's presence through the pain. Let that sink in for a little bit. The promise of Christianity is not the absence of pain, but the promise of God's presence through the pain. Now, when we think about this, I mean, we all experience hardship, pain, and struggle. We're not immune to it. Uh, And in fact, it doesn't matter if you're a believer in Jesus or not, uh, we're all gonna face some type of strife, hardship, and difficulty. I mean, Jesus even said it in Matthew 5, He says, the Lord makes the sun rise on the righteous and the unrighteous. He makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. We all experience pain and hardships. And last time I checked, death still has a 100% success rate. Whether we are facing down death or we know someone who is, we are all in this boat together of experiencing hardship and pain and struggle and strife. Just because you're a believer or a non-believer doesn't excuse you from it. But whenever we ultimately come to this point and just say to ourselves, you know what, the difference of my faith is not the promise of the absence of pain, but the promise of God's presence through it, what that can begin to do is, is help us through the hardships and the difficulties. And a lot of times, for me especially, it helps me to reframe it, to know that God is with me in all things. Now I begin to shift my question from a why question to a what question. Shifting it from a why to a what. Still, continue to bring your whys to God. But now we can also ask the what question. What does this mean? Well, instead of asking the question, God, why is this happening to me? God, why am I going through this? To now shift it to say, God, what are you doing through this? God, what ways are you revealing your goodness, your righteousness, and your holiness through this? God, what ways can I see you in a grander display? That's what it means to shift from the why to the what. And as I think about this applied in the life of an individual, I think about the story of Lois Evans. Okay, Lois Evans was the vice president of the Urban Alternative. She was the founder of uh, Pastors Wives and Ministry. She was the wife of Tony Evans, pastor and speaker. And in December 2019, Lois Evans lost a very public battle with a rare form of gallbladder cancer. And at her funeral, or as her whole family described it, her celebration of life, her son Jonathan got up to give the eulogy. And Jonathan talked about how he had been wrestling as a family through all of the hardships that they had, those questions. God, why don't you heal my mom? God, why is this taking so long? God, what is going on here? And finally, he said that through his laboring and prayer, he began to see a shift happen and he began to understand what God was doing was revealing Jesus's victory, that his mom was gonna be redeemed whether in this life or the next. And he spoke these powerful words, uh, his his understanding of of who God was. Here's what he said. Jonathan said this. God said, number one, you don't understand understand the nature of my victory. Just because I, I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean that I haven't already answered your prayer anyway, because victory was already given to your mom. You don't understand this because of the victory that I have given to her. There was always only two answers to your prayers. Either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. Either she was going to be with family or she was going to be with family. Either she's going to be well taken care of or she was going to be well taken care of. Victory belongs to Jesus. That's what we're seeing. we can begin to see, God, what are you doing? He was revealing the victorious work of Christ. And so I think whenever we begin to shift our question to the what are you doing, God? What are you gonna reveal in this time? I I think that ultimately what that helps us to do is it helps us to see Jesus' victory in a far more grander display. You, You see, when everything is stripped away, that allows us to stand in the gap and say, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You see, I think that God is looking for people with a heart like Job, who says, when my family is gone, uh, when my fortunes are dissipated, when my physical health is failing, I can stand and say, God is enough. That's what it looks like to have a heart like Job. To say, you know what, the the promise of Christianity, the promise of our faith is not the absence of pain, but the promise of God's presence through the pain. And so how do we do that then? How do we sense and see God's presence? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because that leads us into our third point, our our third point, which is a prayer. And I think that we can learn a lot about prayer through looking at the posturing of Job. Okay, we see his posturing after he has uh, lost his family and his posturing after he has a physical ailment. But first of all, let's look at how he responds after he lost his family. It says this, at this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worshiped and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Okay, we see that Job tears his robe and shaves his head. This is a sign of, of mourning and of grief and of agony. And then it says that he fell down. He, he literally fell down on his face in worship. Now, I don't think that this was a Chris Tomlin, Phil Wickham, Maverick City worship song. Okay, this was a worship of lament literally laying all of the burdens and all of the hardships and all of the pain for it and just saying, God, here's what I'm dealing with. You gave and you take away. God, help me in this time. That's what we see in the first posture. But then we see that Satan goes out in chapter two and he strikes Job's physical health. Look at verse seven. Here's what we see. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet To the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Okay, this is a grotesque picture. Uh, We don't know the sores that he had, whether it was leprosy or something else, but the the idea is that the sores struck him from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. So he was in physical anguish and mental and emotional turmoil. And he was scraping the sores because he was in so much pain. And then it says that he sat. In ashes. And you're probably sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, okay, we live in Minnesota. We've got bonfires. Why is this guy sitting down in a burnt out bonfire? To sit in ashes means he's literally sitting in his grief. He's sitting in his pain. Shaved head, ripped robes, sitting in ashes. Job came face to face with his grief and with his pain. And I think that we can learn a lot about that for our own lives because when I think about my posturing, when I come face to face with pain and grief, I wanna run right through it. I don't wanna stop. I wanna get a quick walking pace or sprint going because we wanna alleviate, we wanna avoid, we wanna ignore the pain. We wanna stuff it down as best we can. We wanna wrap up all of the the wounds that we have and hoping that these bandages will heal it when all in reality, we still have this turmoil and grief going on underneath the surface. We can learn to sit and to navigate our grief and our pain in a God-honoring, wise way. And so that's what we want to look at now. That's what we want to invite you into. As Pastor Joel mentioned in the opening video, we've got this Bible reading plan that we encourage you to lean into it, read the the scriptures, read these chapters over the next several weeks. But also you'll notice at the bottom of this bookmark is a QR code uh, for a lament prayer. Okay, how can we pray? How can we lament to God? How can we lift up our grief and our agony to him? You can scan this for those online. You can head to our website and find that there. But what I want to do now is I want to give you the, the four prompts that walk you through a lament prayer in hopes that this will be a tool and a resource for you to utilize in this season or in a season in which you might have found some pain or grief. Let's start with the first prompt of a lament prayer. The first prompt is this, who I know God to be right now. Who I know to be, God to be right now. Okay, I know God to be good and faithful, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, and all things. And so I want to sit in the truth of who God is to reflect on his character and his attributes. But here's the thing. Some of us might be sitting here and we're like, the pain is too great. I can't think of what God is doing right now. And so the encouragement is to think back on times in your life and in your season when you have seen God's goodness and God's faithfulness. Your past blessings will inform your future prayers. That's the first prompt. The second prompt for a lament prayer is this: "The cause of my lament." Or put another way, why I cry out." Here we can get to the, the root of your pain and grief. Why are you crying out to God? Is it because a friend has betrayed you? Is it because a spouse has left? Have you performed some action uh, that the consequences are giving you this ripple effect of pain? Are you crying out because a loved one is sick? Or are you crying out because a loved one is gone? All of these are valid prayers, know that. God hears them and God sees them. The third prompt for a lament prayer is this. What this situation makes me feel about God? What this situation makes me feel about God? This is a moment to be completely honest with God. Do you feel like God has left you? Do you feel like God has abandoned you? Do you feel like God has unjustly treated you? You know, whenever I think about prayer, I mean, prayer at the end of the day is conversing with God. It's having a conversation with God. And the cool part about our faith is that God invites us into a relationship with him, uh, that we have to talk with him. But when I think about relationships applied on our human standards, I know this might come as a a surprise and a shock to you, but we're going to experience some type of conflict usually in our relationships. And usually whenever I'm sitting with couples and I'm going through either premarital counseling or some other counseling, I usually say to them, whenever you have conflict, it's good to talk about the conflict. But not only that, it's good to bring your feelings and your emotions to the table as well. And you see, this is important because God calls us into relationship with him. But God also says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, not just your mind. And so God is saying, bring your emotions, bring your feelings to the table. Do you wanna know why? Why? because God can handle it. He made us complete and he wants to heal us in this time. That's the third, the fourth and final prompt for lament prayer is this. What do I long to see happen in this situation? What I long to see happen in this situation. What do you long to see? Ask God, lay it at his feet. Do you wanna see a child return? Do you wanna be healed and free of pain? Do you want forgiveness and reconciliation to occur in your relationships? Ask God, he is listening. And so friends, I know that this is a deep, deep series. And I wanna invite you, as your questions rise up, as maybe your pains rise to the surface, lean in, don't lean out. Let's be on this journey together over the next several weeks, because as we know, bad things sometimes happen to good people. That we're not immune to pain, but despite the pain, we have not the promise of the absence of pain, but we have the promise of God's presence through it. That he is with us in it that as we are sitting in our grief, that he is walking alongside each and every one of you, giving us his grace, his love, and his mercy. And so that's what it looks like to cry out, God, won't you help? Help in overcoming tough times. So let's do that together, friends. Would you please stand as we pray together? Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus, that it said the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that you moved, you proximated, you came near to us, you haven't abandoned us or avoided us. Uh, our, our pain and our struggles aren't a cause of division between us, but you step towards us in all things. And so I pray now, Lord, that we can see your presence in new ways, that we can understand your victory. God, I know that with a, wide number of folks with us today. That we come from a variety of places. Right now, some are fine. Some are okay. Some aren't navigating a season of pain and hardship. And so I pray, Lord, that you will put the prompting on their heart to be of help and to be of service to those around them. And I also know on the flip side of that, Lord, that there are some people who barely made it here this morning navigating so much hardship and brokenness in their life. God, I pray that your presence and your healing touch will be revealed to them in new ways. I pray, Lord, that they can lean not away, but lean into your presence. For you are good, you are faithful, you are holy and righteous, you are victorious in all things. And so may we fix our eyes upon you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And may we taste of your victory. May you go before us now. We pray all of this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen.